Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. And you are listening to On the Record with Tiffany. And today I have the honor of having the Honorable Joe Gonzalez, our district attorney here in San Antonio, Texas. Mr. Gonzalez, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Tiffany. Thanks for inviting me back. I really had a good time uh, the last time, and so I'm glad to be here again. Well, I think we need to have you on uh, often, as I have told you uh, before, because our public really needs to... This is a a different time since we've been uh, going through COVID-19, and having you here is just... uh, very reassuring because when we hear so many things being said about the police and being said about uh, law enforcement, about district attorneys, uh, which are two different offices and different, <laughs> uh, different um, that, you know, your job is to, to follow the law and, and interpret the law. So uh, that's very different. And, and I've, feel like we need to hear more from from people like you. Well, I agree, and thank, thanks again for having me, because it is important for the community to know what we're doing and know that we are two different agencies. Uh, and and um, we don't, um, we're not investigators that go out there and, and investigate crime. We have to, as you say, we have to review the cases that are brought to us uh, from uh, law enforcement, and we have to be able to apply the facts to the law. And so it is important that the community know what we're doing Mm -hmm. and that they understand you know what i what i like about you honorable joe gonzalez (laughs) which is a very good good uh, an accurate description honorable is that uh you had a vision from the time you ran for that uh spot and you have followed out your vision regardless of how the winds were blowing. And it's something as tumultuous as COVID-19, as a, as a worldwide pandemic, you have maintained your vision. You have maintained through a pandemic, through a social uprising, you've stuck with, hey, my vision is to unify the community, interpret the laws accurately, and places where I see that we uh, need to make adjustments, to make those adjustments. But you're not changing your mission and vision. You're just making it more inclusive and better for the, the community. And that, that, that says something about heart and why you're here. Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, as you mentioned, I, uh, I bring to the office um, a vision of, of reform. Uh, and to a lot of people, reform means change. And, and sometimes change is a good thing when it's done the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say all the time, although I've been an, ast- an administrator running an office of this size, by the way, we have 500 employees and people tell me all the time, I'm the largest public law office in town. Uh, I've been the, yeah, and it, and it comes with many, many challenges. Wow. But uh, I have been a lawyer for over 30 years, going on mm-hmm. uh, almost 32 years now. And um, and so I've seen a lot over the years, uh, and, and I de- have seen inequities in mm-hmm. the criminal justice system, which is one of the reasons that I bring reform to the office mm-hmm. is because because I've seen that over the years. I started my career, as I mentioned last time, as a prosecutor, um, and I enjoyed what I did. I worked for uh, three different elected DAs, four different administrations here and in, and in Houston, um, and um, I learned a lot, but I also learned that you have to temper uh, justice with mercy. I, I also mm-hmm. learned that it's not a one-size-fits-all. I learned that uh, you don't always have to send people to prison uh, for the maximum amount of punishment. The, the uh, punishment should fit the crime. And there's certainly uh, ways we can look at um, how we deal with 
with crimes and, and look at the under, um, uh, the, the cause, the, the, the root of the problem to see if there's something we can do to, to, uh, to solve that issue because we really don't do a lot if all we're doing is creating a revolving door, right? If someone's continuing to get arrested, for example, for the same offense, like maybe theft or, or small drug uh, offense, and the reason they're doing it is because maybe they have a drug habit. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe we ought to look at, at ways to deal with that drug addiction. So those are the kinds of things that, that, that we bring to this administration. Those are the kinds of things that I've been trying to do in the year and a half or so that we've been in office. And, it's, and you've been doing a good job of that because we, we have to think about things like the human experience. And we saw with, the, with what can only be described as an epidemic of uh, um, methamphetamines that people commit crimes directly related to that particular drug, that drug crack. We've got so many things like that that are, that are a social problem along with a crime problem. And, you know, your heart wants to, there's the law and then there's also the, the human component to that where, where we have to, to care about what's happening with that person and, and how they got there and how we can help them get to the next stage in life that's better because there are opportunities but we we have to be willing to put the programs in place to get them there and you've done some of that yes ma'am we have uh and and um i'm happy to say that uh we've made some uh, significant strides uh in trying to deal with uh with the drug problem here in bear county but you mentioned uh, people that that have had issues with with addiction to methamphetamines but it's not only that but it's main street drugs and it's legal drug use you know we hear that we have an uh, opioid epidemic problem uh, in right. this country uh, people rely on on uh, legal drugs on medication to get through pain and to get through uh, whatever medical uh, issues they're dealing with Sometimes and our listeners understand that because when 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 many of us hear drugs, that's we think of illegal drugs. Right. We do not think of what you're talking about, like pres prescription drugs, the painkillers that often we can be prescribed by our physicians when we're dealing with those issues. Well, at some point, you know, if you're healed and you keep taking those drugs because you become dependent on that then it can become a crime. You can actually purchase those drugs on the black market. And if you're possessing those drugs uh, and they're without a prescription, that's a crime. That's against the law. And so, and, and I think that's brought a, 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 just a different discussion uh, to, uh, to the community about the fact that, as you mentioned, where before we were talking about, well, you know what, uh, these are heroin addicts, they're meth addicts, they're, they're, they're people that are, um, that are criminals anyway, uh, why do we worry or care about them? Well, guess what? It's mainstream. It is the guy next door. It is your niece or your aunt that may have been um, prescribed some painkillers that she just can't get off of. Mm -hmm. And so that brings a, a brand new um, problem to the, uh, to the forefront. And so sure, we've, we've seen that and we've seen uh, those people come to the to the criminal courts and we've had to deal with those kinds of issues. And the shame and embarrassment that's in, involved with that along with along with the criminal the criminal element of it, it's it's like it's running rampant all over the United States, yet it's a subject that we don't necessarily talk about mm -hmm. as much as we as we should. So how has that impacted uh, our community and and what you all have done in terms of programs so so how we're dealing with those kinds of issues is is part of the challenge is to come into the office mm -hmm. uh, with this new philosophy to not only be well to look at it instead of being tough on crime but look at it as being smart on crime to look at the underlying uh, issues involved. And if, for example, this individual does have uh, a drug addiction, 
Can we do something to help with that and, and in some way uh, avoid that person uh, from coming back into the criminal justice system uh, if it's appropriate? If you're talking about someone, for example, who's a nonviolent offender, who has, has, is a user as opposed to uh, a street pusher or a drug mm -hmm. dealer or someone who's actually hurting our children or our schools, mm -hmm. uh, but someone who has a, a true um, drug addiction, then what we're doing is looking to see if we can be part of some kind of a of an alternative to incarceration program. So we have a, a, a drug court in Bear County that's been in existence for several years. We're fortunate that we have a, a group of judges, not only on the on the felony side, uh, our district court judges, but our misdemeanor judges or the county court judges, who, who I think uh, by and large, for the most part, recognize uh, that there is a, uh, sometimes a drug problem with people that come before them. And so uh, many of them are, are uh, willing to, to um, give an opportunity to those individuals who have drug problems. Mm -hmm. And instead of sending them to prison for X amount of years, maybe look for alternatives like drug treatment and, uh, and things of that nature. So that's, you know, it, it, it takes many people being involved. It takes a partnership of not only the district attorney's office, uh, but the pro probation offices uh, and the courts themselves, the judges, uh, to try and come up with solutions to, to this problem. Thank you so much. You've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany and come back and listen some more. I'd like for you to tell us more about the drug courts because the first time I, I, the first time I heard about them, I was really fascinated with how we have come up with a system uh, within our uh, legal framework that really helps the citizen that has maybe taken a wrong turn. Mm -hmm. Well, as I mentioned before, I think we're very fortunate here in Bay County that we have a group of judges that, that are, are willing to think outside the box. You know, historically, judges mm -hmm. uh, were thought of as people that, that threw the book at uh, someone that was charged with a crime and sent them off to prison if it was a felony or off to the mm -hmm. local jail if it was a misdemeanor for as much time as uh, as they believe was appropriate. And, mm -hmm. and then you just you just waited till they did their time and then they were released back into the community, not really ever dealing with the, when the, with the root of the problem, right? If, if for example, they had a drug addiction. Here, uh, Bear County, like some other counties, uh, some other jurisdictions across the, the country, recognize that you really have to deal with the, the, the issue. And if drug addiction is the true uh, demon, then, mm -hmm. then what can the courts do to to help deal with that. And so here we're fortunate again that we have a, a group of judges that uh, that are willing to to uh, look for those kinds of alternatives. We have a felony drug court here in Bear County, for example, uh, that that has been successful, that uh, works in, in concert with, with us, with the, with the DA's office. We, for example, uh, will review uh, applicants for the drug court and if they qualify and they meet the criteria, then they can uh, enter and or they can apply and be accepted into a pretty intensive uh, program. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's not a cakewalk by any uh, stretch right. of the imagination. They, they've got mm -hmm. some some strict requirements uh, that if they meet at the end of it uh, and they successfully graduate from the drug court, then uh there's some benefits at the end of the uh, rainbow, as they say. It may uh, uh, result in a conviction. Uh, I'm sorry, it may result in avoiding a conviction. Uh, plus, hopefully along the way, they'll get some much-needed treatment uh, in order to, again, to beat that demon. And so, uh, again, we're very fortunate we have those judges that uh, that recognize that that uh, sometimes that's, that's a route that should be taken. Mm-hmm. The drug court here in Bear County is what's called, it's one type of what's called a specialty court. We have several types of specialty courts here in Bear County, including, for example, we have a, a veterans treatment court that looks specifically at veterans and the issues that they may have uh, connected with PTSD, for example, That's that right. sometimes they have to, they have demons of their own that they have to fight. And so, uh, again, the courts recognize, law enforcement uh, recognizes, we recognize that sometimes veterans have issues that should be addressed. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's a, uh, another type of, of court that, um, that offers alternatives to incarceration. And so, mm -hmm. so there's other programs 
for example, the Esperanza Court that deals with issues uh, where people uh, may have problems in the past with prostitution cases. So that's another type of specialty court. So again, it's all the recognition uh, in the system of, of trying to come up with alternatives to incarceration. You all have have a specialty court for uh, people who who uh, committed domestic violence. That's correct. I, I, I saw that that court and, and that was really very interesting because um, instead of throwing the book mm-hmm. at the person and and you you don't just when you say it's not a cakewalk it's not they are forced to you know they're given the opportunity to empower themselves and change and you give them the tools and the programs to change and that's across the board in all of those different courts that requires taking some personal responsibility Absolutely. like it literally over and over again in each of the courts the programming that's set up is about the person being responsible looking at their demons and facing them and you know they're not doing it alone because uh, our community is such that the program has been created the judges have have <laughs> worked diligently to help with with community partners to create programs that would then benefit the individual and in a greater sense our community by not having the recidivism that we've been seeing right absolutely you know, so that, uh, and that's what I mean about vision, mm-hmm. having vision and being willing to work together. A, a community is not just one portion of the law, one portion of law enforcement or interpretation of the law, but it's all of you that have to work together from the judges to the district attorneys to the officer on the beats. Everybody has to work together. Absolutely. In order to create what we, uh, a community like ours, this doesn't just happen overnight. Right. And you mentioned domestic violence. I mean, we can have a whole discussion on just <laughs> domestic violence, maybe really sometime can. the next time in the future. Yeah. We can sit down and talk about, it's got it, its own special issues. Really but again, uh, how we get involved in the domestic violence prosecution side is when someone is arrested uh, and potentially charged, with with uh, committing uh, some sort of act of violence against uh, their significant other, whether it be a spouse or someone they're dating or maybe a member of, of their own household. Uh, but there may be, un- again, underlying problems. Sometimes it's alcoholism. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. again, drug addiction. Maybe it's just anger management. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because they've lost a job and they take it out mm-hmm. on their spouse. One of the things that we haven't talked about um, is how unique this whole COVID situation has uh, created. Uh, uh, just, I think it's going to spawn a whole new number of, of cases that are just waiting uh, to be prosecuted. We know, for example, while uh, while victims of crime were sheltering in place with their with their abuser. Uh, that has created uh, an uptick in the number of domestic violence cases that we're going to have to deal with when mm-hmm. we all come back to court uh, and can and can uh, handle these cases safely. We know that there's going to be an increase of those cases uh, that that we're going to have to deal with. What are we seeing in terms of 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 crime and and uh, COVID nineteen and you know the those that are related to domestic violence, mental illness, how is that working right now with something as as uh, difficult and unprecedented as COVID-19? Well, you know, depending on who you talk to, uh, you know, you'll hear uh, different um, uh, versions about whether or not uh, uh, we have seen an increase or an, or a decrease in crime, but I will tell you that during this pandemic, we have still seen uh, a, a steady flow of violent crime. I mean, just over the mm-hmm. weekend, 
we saw uh, some vi- examples of violent crime. There was a, a, an incident where people were, were injured at a, um, a, um, a flea market. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we certainly have seen other instances where people have, have been injured or in some cases even murdered. It was in a, a situation not too long ago with, with a, a, where an 11-year-old uh, had ultimately died from her injuries. Uh, and so we continue to see violent crime. What we've seen is that during this pandemic, uh, the police are still having to do their job, right? They're still mm-hmm. having to go out there and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, respond to calls. They're still having to investigate. Uh, they're still having to make arrests. We are still working at the magistrate's office. We have a 24-7 operation, and it doesn't stop. It hasn't stopped. Uh, and so we continue to 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 uh, to operate. You know what what happened during COVID is the courthouse had to stop its operation. We're not we haven't had criminal jury trials so I guess in sometime late February, and uh, we're we're now uh, continuing to be at a standstill. I think the last order was we're not going to come back uh, until September 30th at the earliest. Uh, in terms of, of expecting to go to trial in criminal cases. So that means those people that have been sitting in jail awaiting their day in court, victims of crime have been waiting for their day uh, of justice. Mm-hmm. And so all that, you know, the old saying, justice delayed is justice denied. But mm-hmm. we, have to, we have to do it in such a way where we don't expose people to, to being... Um, this is a safety to, issue. Absolutely, it's a safety, it's a safety issue. issue. So... So we're just going to have to wait, uh, and and hopefully again uh, we'll get we'll get back uh, to business and we'll get back to uh, to doing what we, what we need to do. But one of the things that that I'm telling the community is the district attorney's office has continued to operate. Uh, I started sending my people home uh, in um, sometime in mid March when we knew the pandemic was was going to be a problem, and so the, about seventy five percent of our people are working from home. Uh, because they have the the ability to do that, they have laptops, they have other electronic devices, and those people that have to come to work have been coming to work. For example, one of the things that I want to make sure people understand is that the the uh, unit that handles protective orders is fully operational. Uh, you can call us, uh, and we can process your protective order application uh, over the phone. We now uh, can do that do it virtually. Uh, by having you apply, uh, I think it's bearcountyprotectiveorders.org, uh, Bear, Bear uh, and you can actually fill out your entire protective order application uh, without having to come down in person. So those are examples of some some of our departments that have continued to operate even during this pandemic. And in, in, if somebody needed to, what, in what cases would someone need a protective order, or would somebody apply for a protective order? What situations? Sure. You definitely want uh, to seek a protective order in a situation where someone has been a victim of domestic violence, where someone has been assaulted, uh, where someone has been choked, kicked, punched, any of those uh, uh, types of injuries. But you also don't want to wait for that. If you feel like, like there's a potential for future harm and the person has made a threat, don't wait uh, until you actually get assaulted because it may be too late. So, so you- listen to that, you all. Listen to what the Honorable Joe Gonzalez is saying to you. If you need a protective order, your district attorney's office is still there for you. We may be in the middle of a pandemic. Your safety is of the utmost importance to them. So call them. Log on to their website. You can still receive that protective order that you need. And as I mentioned before, even those people that may be sheltering in place with their abuser, uh, it's not a either or situation. You don't have to put up with that kind of abuse uh, because you're staying at home uh, for health reasons or to avoid mm-hmm. your children or you. Uh, contracting or because COVID. you've lost a job uh, during this pandemic. None of that is a reason 
to continue to endure abuse. Well, that's mm-hmm. right. And one of the things that I would suggest you do if you can, if, if is try and reach out to someone, reach out to a family member, reach mm-hmm. out to uh, a close friend, reach out to the next door neighbor uh, and, and let them know that you're, that how you're doing. And if you're not doing okay, they can get help for you. Uh, one of the things that, that uh, might be helpful, helpful is if you are being a victim of crime, try and remember dates, try and remember events. Uh, obviously, if you can um, uh, somehow uh, gather evidence, for example, if the, the perpetrator uses a knife or a gun, try and, and, and hold that for evidence in the future. But, but definitely get yourself out of that situation and, and reach out to somebody for help. We have some, some great organizations here in uh, San Antonio uh, that you can reach out to, women's shelters. You're listening to On the Record with Tiffany. And we're back with On the Record with Tiffany and my special guest, the Honorable Joe Gonzalez. I love saying the Honorable Joe Gonzalez <laughs> because I think it is a true statement. But <laughs> but um, I wanted to talk to you a, a little bit more about uh, the domestic violence issue because sure. uh, when Rosie Gonzalez, Judge Rosie Gonzalez, was um, speaking at a women's event, and uh, of course it's... 100 year anniversary of women's suffrage and and we're about to enter a a uh, major election so I'm I'm ex- always excited to uh to promote the idea of women voting because regardless of what side you are voting on it is important as an american as a woman and for all the people that that stood before us that we exercise the right to vote is mm-hmm. very important. But um, when she was talking about the domestic violence court, one of the things that she said, uh, which shocked me, was that uh, often uh, the women who were being abused uh, would come in, or the the person who was being abused would come in and say, Oh, I, I still love this individual. I still love him. I still love my my boyfriend, you know, or husband. And uh, they started thinking, okay, you know, we're gonna have to, you know, and I, the, the women were saying they still loved him, and they they wanted them to be be different. I just wish it would be better. And I'm going to stay here and would stay uh, and, and endure the same thing. And they, the judges started thinking, okay, we got to think in a different way. So let's see what we can put together and let's get with community partners and figure out programs that em- empower this abuser to change. Right. And inspires the abuser to change. And that was like, when I heard that, I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, you know, because my, my thinking had always been, if somebody's doing something like that, that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we know where this is going. <laughs> uh, but that shift in thinking. What does that produce? Well, I'll tell you what it produces is, again, uh, uh, an aspect of reform. Again, she's Mm -hmm. one of those judges that that is willing to be an innovator. She's one of those judges that is thinking outside the box. Yeah. uh, Because a lot of times you do have relationships that, for whatever reason, the perpetrator and the the victim do not want to end. A lot of times they they, they do love each other. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, and what you're talking about is she's she's uh, created what's called the uh, the reflejo court. She came up with mm-hmm. that name herself. Reflejo mm-hmm. is Spanish for reflection. Um, mm-hmm. And so the mm-hmm. idea is is to look again to see if uh, let's treat the root of the problem, whether it be a drug addiction, alcoholism, anger management, whatever the problem is, uh, to see if we can do something to uh, keep them from just. Uh, becoming recidivists, keep them from mm-hmm. uh, having to come back. Because I will tell you that part of the most frustrating uh, 
a part to our prosecutors in the Family Violence Division, uh, and those are the prosecutors handling the misdemeanor uh, domestic violence cases. And, and then if it graduates to a felony, then it's, you get to the to the felony level, then you're dealing with the family violence prosecutors who are then potentially looking to send you to prison. So what, mm-hmm. what we're doing is trying to see what we can do to change that conduct. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I started to say what is the most frustrating thing for us is is when we get ready to go to trial, when we get ready to go to court, we reach out to the victims to try and get uh, their cooperation. Sometimes they disappear on us. Sometimes they don't return phone calls. Sometimes they're, they ignore our subpoenas because their their attitude is, look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna testify against uh, you know my spouse or my you know significant other because if he gets convicted and goes to jail or to prison, we lose our home, we lose his paycheck. My kids don't eat. My kids don't get fed. Uh, they don't get clothed. Uh, they can't go to school. And so I'm not going to help you. And so a lot of times we are forced to 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 have to dismiss cases or come up with alternatives rather than just dismiss the case because we can't get the cooperation of of the victim. But the financial tie, the emotional tie to the perpetrator has always been a big problem with domestic violence and the fact that there that that uh that the judge thought outside of the box and thought okay i because I, I know that was a hard sure. that was a hard decision to make sure. uh because you know you don't want to see anyone being abused mm-hmm. so thinking let's try and reform and and uh, help the person who was victimizing another person. That's not typical thinking, but it but in in this case, in the case of of abuse, it has been beneficial to the victim right. to to try and and change what's happening with the with the perpetrator. Well, sure, but there has to be buy-in from the perpetrator yeah. himself. He's got to yeah. be real, he's got to be willing to change. I say and he. The, sometimes it's a she. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's why I was like the the person. <laughs> but but that's that's the beauty of the program is that you are it's on it's on the the per, it's on you. The onus is on the person who committed that crime. Are you going to change? We're giving you the opportunity to change. We're not going to make it easy for you to change. Your butt better change because <laughs> you've right. got some yeah. you've got some things yeah. that you got to do. And which and, and well, no, we're going to get to it eventually. But that's the philosophy behind site release is mm-hmm. there's some skin in the game. Uh, that's your right. Site. Skin so. in the game because <laughs> it's called personal responsibility. Right. God dog, you should have some skin in it. Right. <laughs> we cannot tell people. <laughs> That, that, well, Joe Gonzalez is going to come in and he's going to change everything and help you. And, and all you have to do is just sit there and look pretty. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that's, that's right. not how life works. Mm-mm, that's not how life works. You have yeah. to change. Because and if you don't want to change, this ain't the program for you. Right. Because, you know, we're going <laughs> to you know? work with you when you're at the misdemeanor level and, and, and the victim wants to cooperate mm-hmm. uh, and help you. But if you get to the felony level and some of our senior prosecutors are looking at serious offenses, mm-hmm. uh, then at that point, we may not be uh, as um, accommodating. Mm-hmm. We, we may not be as generous and we may now be looking for prison time. But remember, you've already been generous. You've already accommodated. You've already given opportunity. That is the most that one can expect. The system is giving you the opportunity to change. That's this is not a corrupt system. This system, with our our courts, is giving you opportunity, programs, by a bipartisan uh, creation of programs and opportunities for people to change. Mm-hmm. But the onus is on the individual to change. Absolutely. It's, it's on the individual to change. And it always will be when it comes down to to uh, crime and addiction. You, that's something that has to come from within, uh, a change that has to come from within. Like I say this, uh, I, 
I, I've never had an issue with crime, <laughs> but I did have an issue with food, which is very much, very much a, uh, an addiction issue when when it comes down to food. You know, I, I weighed 340 pounds. And uh, to look at me now, you would not know that, but that was 10 years ago. And in order to change, what I had to do was accept the fact that the reason I weighed 340 pounds was me. It was what I was putting in my mouth. And if I wanted to be a different woman, and what my catalyst for change was my little pumpkin pie, my little <laughs> little uh, my little girl. When when my husband and I uh, found out that we might be able to uh, adopt Ernie, I was like, I'm going to be the woman that God meant for me to be. God's giving me another chance. I need to take advantage of that chance and and. When he gives you another chance, you do what you need to do in order to live up to what he's given you, you know, and, and that's the same kind of, of change that a person has to make on the inside. And that wasn't easy. I thought, oh, I'll have to unplug from television for a little while, you know, change, you know, what I'm eating. I had to unplug from television for three and a half years to change what was happening in here inside my head. And how I related to, to food and saying it no to people before I felt like, you know, the weight, yes, the weight started coming off, but I had to, I had to change my thinking to keep it off. There was nothing that, there's not a magic pill. I, and I've tried every magic pill. I've tried weight loss surgery. I've tried it all. Uh, the only thing that will keep weight off of you is what's happening in here because that's what puts it on you. You have to, you have to take responsibility for yourself, and I had to do exactly that. That that was the only thing that changed me, you know. So uh, I love what y'all are doing uh, with by asking people to take personal responsibility because in anything in this life, that is what is required in order to be successful. Nobody. No, nobody else came in and did think made you Joe Gonzalez. I mean, there were a lot of people that contributed to you becoming the man that you are, but you still had to choose to be that guy. You still had to choose to be that guy. Anyway, you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany. Come back and listen some more because I have at my, my the full attention of <laughs> Joe Gonzalez and we're going to take up every minute that we can. <laughs> with the district attorney's office to hear what we are doing. Uh, it's a, a great time to listen. And if you've been feeling like you're a little bit uh, sketchy, feeling unsafe, feeling afraid because there are so many things that are going on that are wrong in our society, come back and listen because you can hear some things that are going on that are right in our society. I wanted to tell you something really quick, uh, Honorable Joe Gonzalez. I love saying that. Okay. <laughs> and that is that we are offering, uh, in my day job, my other hat that I wear is with Texas Kidney Foundation. And so we are doing free screenings to locate those underlying conditions that are plaguing us right now during COVID-19. We're going to follow people who have been diagnosed with COVID-19. Uh, we're going to follow their kidney function for the next three years. So that, uh, and we've gotten uh, thousands, like literally thousands of tests uh, donated to us so that we can do that and support our community. So we get to be community save saviors just like you, <laughs> just like the district attorney's office. You're just helping to save the mental health and families and really keeping families together and coming up with outside of the box ways to do that through the courts, like our court system is is so vastly different from many others around the country. I feel like you're you're doing some things that that show leadership and can show some of the other places that are are clearly behind us uh, what they need to do next. Mm -hmm. So will you talk to us a little bit about sight and release? Sure. Well, um, as I mentioned before, you know, obviously my most important function is to keep our community safe. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I want to make sure that that um, those people that prey on our, our most vulnerable, our, our children, our women, mm -hmm. our elderly, 
uh, those people that commit crimes against those individuals that, that are that are appropriately punished for those crimes. But um, in addition to that, one of the things that, that I quickly realized when I came into office is I only have a limited uh, amount of, of, of budget. Mm-hmm. I only have an although 500 employees sounds like, like a lot. When you consider the amount of, of cases that we have to handle per year, uh, that that uh, doesn't stretch very far. And so we had to make a decision to streamline what we did and to focus on the more important things like uh, combating violent crime, like mm-hmm. the street gang prosecution that I talked about last time, uh, those kinds of issues, family violence, you know, uh, those are things that are important to us. Not so much the, the, the small uh, nonviolent misdemeanor offenses that uh, may result in a person uh, getting some sort of probation anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people will get what's called deferred adjudication, which is, mm-hmm. which is the kind of probation that avoids a conviction. Mm-hmm. But it costs money to arrest someone. It costs, costs mm-hmm. money to book someone into the local jail. And it costs money to feed the, that person until he gets to court, depending on who you're talking about. A, a person, uh, it may cost the county between 50 to $75 a day to, to feed and house that person. So we need wow. to come up to, with with some ways to to mm-hmm. save the county uh, money that doesn't uh, risk the safety of the community. One of those programs is called Sight and Release. Now, this program, this idea has been around for some time. Uh, it was actually on the books back in 2007. It's just mm-hmm. taken this long. Uh, although, although a lot of people have uh, given uh, a shot at doing it, I think ours is the first administration, or I should say taking a shot, our first administ- this is our first uh, time doing it, and, and I believe that we're doing it successfully. But the reason that it's working is because we've had a huge buy-in from all the players, including law enforcement. So we've had the cooperation of SAPD uh, and Chief McManus. We've had the cooperation of, uh, of Sheriff Salazar and the Bear County Sheriff's Office, plus the other surrounding agencies. We have about 35 or so uh, surrounding uh, municipalities and law enforcement agencies. So that's a lot of people uh, that make arrests on a, on a daily basis. So what this does, Tiffany, is it gives the officer the discretion to, instead of arresting that individual, issuing a citation, much like a traffic ticket. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we're talking about low-level, nonviolent offenses. As a matter of fact, by statute, only certain offenses qualify, like misdemeanor amounts of marijuana, that's mm-hmm. uh, four ounces or less, uh, that's uh, uh, misdemeanor theft cases, driving for license and valid, uh, uh, synthetic marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, so those generally are the types of offenses that are, are eligible for site and release. For example, when an officer makes a decision to arrest someone, a lot of times it may take the majority, if not all of the shift, to get that person arrested, transported, booked, and processed, where by using the benefit of site and release, the officer can immediately cite uh, that person with a, a citation and get back on the street and patrol that area that he's assigned to uh, and deal with more violent crime, uh, maybe respond to an aggravated robbery or, God forbid, a sexual assault mm-hmm. or something else mm-hmm. where his his uh, attention is more uh, uh, is needed versus just uh, arresting someone for a misdemeanor amount of marijuana. Well, where his attention is needed to for the safety of of our community. What you just cited, violent crimes, that's what affects our safety. Somebody with with misdemeanor marijuana, I mean, that's, you know, they shouldn't have it. But if I have the choice between you taking care of, of uh, a domestic violence case or that, you know, the funding needs to go towards the domestic violence or, or towards the, the violent crime because those are the things that keep us keep the rest of us safe. Right. And never mind the political discussions of whether or not uh, marijuana should be legalized or not. It's the, the yeah, issue of how much, yeah. how much is it going to cost to process this individual and then ultimately prosecute right. just for him to get probation mm-hmm. anyway. 
Uh, and, you know, then we have the additional uh, challenge of now we have to be able to prove that what the substance that the individual has is actually marijuana versus hemp because the law requires us to prove that that substance is not hemp but marijuana. That means it's got to have a THC quantity mm-hmm. of 0.3% or higher. So THC. now you got to spend all this time trying to figure this and <laughs> and money. And at the end of it, mm-hmm. that person is still going to get probation and you have now spent precious taxpayer dollars on putting them going through the process of of putting them in jail of of booking them Mm -hmm. uh when you know that the outcome is you is basically that you just spent a bunch of money so let me put some dollars and cents behind mm-hmm. this program. You may think, well, yeah, what? But what? What good does it do to the community? Well, mm-hmm. by by uh, now implementing this program, and we started late summer of last year, we have now cost the county over two. I'm sorry, we've now saved the county over two million dollars in booking and prosecution costs. So just on the booking side, in in order to avoid having uh, 2,700 people. Uh, being arrested, we have saved the county over $1.8 million, plus an additional 500000 in prosecution co- costs. That's $2 million that we didn't have to spend booking this individual. Mm-hmm. Now, you may ask, so, so what, what is, that, what is the, the, the person that was stopped with marijuana have to do? Remember, we talked about skin in the game. Mm-hmm. So here's the skin in the game. And see, that's what I was going to ask you because they're, they're not just like skipping out of the right. court, and, out of the. <laughs> and, and, and the. The beauty of this, number one, it's discretionary. So the officer mm-hmm. has to make the initial decision about whether or not to cite, to cite the individual or not. If mm-hmm. the officer believes that this person is not eligible because either uh, of his criminal history, or because let's say he was combative or mm-hmm. he just in the officer's mind is not a good candidate for sudden release. He doesn't have to sign him. He can arrest mm-hmm. him and go uh, about his normal uh, operations. But if for whatever reason the officer believes this person is a good candidate, that he issues him the citation, that person has a certain amount of time to report to the reentry center, which is located downtown. Once he comes to our reentry center, we're going to screen him to determine whether or not he's eligible. If he is, we're going to, and then we identify what the problem is. Let's say it's a drug case, right? A marijuana case. We're going to ask that he either do some, some drug treatment or some community service or maybe a combination of, of both or, or do both of them, I should say. And, uh, and if he successfully completes it, then the case stays rejected. That means it's done. He never gets an arrest record. He never gets a conviction. Uh, on his record, he goes about his business. If he, for example, if he's a student, he doesn't lose his college tuition or, or funding, his scholarship. Mm-hmm. If he's an employee, that's very important. Sure. Let's say he works at USAA or Valero or, or even just uh, a, 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 a parent, a single parent mm-hmm. that gets uh, uh, subsidies or some kind of government funding that may be jeopardized by having a criminal conviction. That avoids all those problems, those those consequences. But again, here's the skin in the game. We're going to give you a certain amount of time to do what you have to do to do the community service or to do the drug awareness class or shoplifting class, if that's what the issue is. Um, so they're not just just given a citation and then you just go on back to your house and keep doing whatever you were doing. You're given a citation and then a series of steps that you have to take personal responsibility for and get this right. Write yourself in some way, right? And I call it drug awareness. Obviously, drug treatment is what I'm mm-hmm. talking about. Right. But um, but that's right. And if you don't do that, then we have the right to file on you like we could mm-hmm. have initially. Mm-hmm. So if you don't do what you're supposed to, uh, then we make the decision uh, to we can make the decision to file uh, the case against you. Now we're going to be uh, <clears throat> as accommodating as as we can. Mm-hmm. If the reason you can't uh, take that anti-shoplifting class or community services because you can't get there because you have transportation issues or maybe you have child care issues. Well, we're going to try and bend over backwards to, to give you time to do what you got to do. But after a while, if you just thumb your nose at us and you, and you think, hey, you're not going to do anything to me anyway, guess what? We have the right to do what we could have done to begin with. Mm-hmm. So there's your so skin in the game. Look at, look at that. That's, 
Now, I want my listeners to hear this because that is what reform looks like. Reform is not uh, you just let everybody go and they can do whatever they want to and live their lives in whatever manner they wish. Reform is there are levels and steps that we're taking. Reform is this each person who comes into the system has a responsibility for themselves to change their actions, to change who they are, to change how they're how they're interacting with others so that they are productive members of society. We are as a as a city giving them the opportunity to make that change, providing the programs to do that and we're doing it in an efficient manner. We're doing it in a way that is fiscally minded. So we're not spending money that, that is just being burned up for no reason because to take somebody with four ounces of marijuana and just throw them in, the, in, in a county jail uh, when we need to put them in a program and help them learn how to interact like they should be interacting uh, without necessarily the use of, of uh, marijuana <laughs> in their lives. If that is our goal, then a program like the reforms that you've made is exactly what we need. Throwing somebody in a in a cell isn't going to get us there. Right. And it and it costs us a fortune. So, once again, another history lesson, not history lesson, but another law lesson, <laughs> understanding of what's going on uh in our society because that that for me it makes me feel feel better and safer to know that we're thinking about people that we're thinking about the individual and we're putting some onus back on mm-hmm. on on folks. You can't get your life right if nobody ever tells you this is wrong and uh, let's look at some ways you can, you can change this, but it's on you, buddy, to do so. You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 930amtheanswer.com. And join us next week for On the Record with Tiffany on 930am The Answer.